Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. I'm going to turn to Job chapter 10, but I'm also going to go back just a little bit to Job chapter 8 for a little introduction. You may find this a strange place to find a Thanksgiving sermon. I don't think I ever preached a Thanksgiving sermon from the book of Job, but I believe there's something here for us on Thanksgiving Day. That's what I want to do. Let me give you some background, and you hold chapter 10 of Job open there. If you want to go back to chapter 8 just a moment, I want to give you a little background as to what's happening. You remember that Job was a man who lost everything. As a result of a conflict between the Lord, God, and Satan, Unbeknownst to Job, these things were taking place in heaven, but he, from his standpoint, was losing everything. His servant came and told him that all of his children had been killed in a house falling on them. Another servant came and told him that all of his possessions, his cattle and all of his livestock and so on, had been stolen, driven away by other peoples. And then he ended up being covered completely with boils top of his head to the very soles of his feet. You talk about a man that was miserable, who had it bad, who had it rough, it would have been Job. The Bible's symbol of everything that can possibly go wrong that must have gone wrong. Even his wife turned to him and said, you ought to just curse God and die, you're so miserable. And he had three supposed friends who came to him, and they thought they would console him. And they looked at him, and for several days they couldn't say a word. He looked so bad, and they, then they began to talk to him. And one of them, Bildad, in, in chapter 8, and I'm reading these words from the Living Bible, then I'll go back to the King James. But to make it plainer, from the Living Bible, chapter 8, Bildad says, how long will you go on like this, Job? Blowing words around like wind. If you were pure and good, he would hear your prayers and answer you and bless you with a happy home. If you were pure and good, Job, you wouldn't be having these problems, is what he's saying. Job doesn't buy this. Job says, I don't understand why all this is happening, because I cannot believe that I've done anything that would deserve this. If you go to chapter 10, I want to read a portion of his response from the Living Bible, then we'll go on to verse 12, and I want you to look at it for the text. Job says, I am weary of living. Let me complain freely. I will speak in my sorrow and bitterness, and I will say to God, don't just condemn me, tell me why you're doing it. Does it really seem right to you to oppress and despise me, a man you have made, 
and to send joy and prosperity to the wicked? Are you unjust like men? Is your life so short that you must hound me for sins you know full well I've not committed? Is it because you know no man can save me from your hand? Can you see in Job yourself? A few months ago, I took a survey here on Sunday morning, and some of you may remember it, that had something to do with asking you the question, how many of you are happy? Well, you wrote it out on a piece of paper. If I remember right, you put it in the offering plate, and I had them sort them out and bring back the results to me, and I read it to you. And a vast majority congregation secretly that they weren't happy. We're faced with all kinds of misery. If I would ask you to be honest this morning, a large majority of you would have to say, I'm miserable right now. I'm miserable. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm sick. My life expectancy isn't too great. I don't have a job, and no prospects of any. Bills are mounting up, and I don't know how to pay them. I don't seem to have very many friends. Problems are getting me down. My world has fallen in. Does that sound familiar? So many things that can go wrong have gone wrong, and this is what Job was faced with. And he laments his condition. He says to his wife and to his friends, Look, what has happened to me? I have not done something to deserve it. And I'm not going to accept your statement that I've sinned and everything that has happened to me is the result of my sin because I don't believe that. He says in that 12th verse, as a part of his lament, but I want to, to make it positive this morning, he says, Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation has preserved my spirit. Three things he says. You've given me life, you've given me favor, and you've come to see me. There is a hymn called Come Thou Fact. I want to read the first verse, portion of it to you and, and emphasize it because I want you to see something. Come thou fount of every blessing. You've sung it many times. You know what it means? Come thou fountain my source of every blessing. And it makes a petition. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. There are lots of hearts out of tune. Some of us have difficulty carrying a tune too well. Tim has a terrible time getting us to figure out what our parts are in the choir. Some of us do a pretty good job, and some of us have a terrible time 
getting where we're supposed to be. Our voices just don't seem to get with it on, on that which we're supposed to sing. The work we're working at. But the important thing is not whether our voices blend well into the music. The important thing is, is our heart and And this writer of the hymn is petitioning God to tune his heart. Tune my heart. For what purpose? To sing thy grace. Not to be despondent and down, but to be lifted up and joyful and sing of God's grace. Not sing the misery of life, but sing the praise of God for his goodness. That's what it's talking about. Then it goes on, the next phrase is streams of mercy never ceasing. Streams of mercy continually coming from God, never ceasing. And those streams of mercy that are never ceasing calls then the last phrase, call for songs of loudest praise. We're not coming here this morning to sing gloom and doom. We're not coming to be reflecting upon the bad things of life, though many of us have them. We're coming to recognize that even as we suffer in boils from the top of our head to the soles of our feet and the loss of all of our property and all of our children have been wiped out in one swipe, we are not going to be distraught. We might not understand as Job did understand, but we're going to praise God. Because of three things that he points out in verse 12. Number one, he gave us life. Thou hast granted me life. <coughs> what should we be thankful for? I think sometimes we fall far short of expressing properly the things that we ought to be thankful for. And we, we start with, I thank you for food and clothing and shelter. That's not the most important thing that we ought to be thankful for. Of course, we ought to be thankful that Jesus Christ has saved our soul. That's number one. Job points out that we ought to be thankful for life itself. Do you know that the strongest drive that a person has in his life is to preserve his life? People will give up everything there is known to man to stay alive. Just to stay alive. God created man in the Garden of Eden. Scripture tells us that he took some clay. He began to mold it. I can just imagine God doing this as he brooded over that mass, that pile of clay, and he began to take his fingers and, and move it around, and, and he made arms and legs, and then he put in eyeballs, and he said, well, I'll put some hair, and, and all of these things. And then the Scripture says that he breathed into this mass became alive. What he did is gave it mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. And out of the mouth of God went his breath into a dead mass of 
play, and suddenly that mass began to move. Eyes opened, arms began to flex, legs began to move, and it sat up, and stood up, and it was able to talk, and think, see, and to hear, and it became alive. But the real thing that God did when he breathed is that he breathed into that mass and made it a soul. He gave part of himself into that mass. You and I have life because God gave it to us. Not do we own, not only do we have physical life in that a mass of clay became real, but that mass of clay was a part of God and had his spirit in it because he breathed it there. He put it there. God gave you life and he made you human. He didn't make you a tree or an inanimate object like a rock or an animal or an insect or a snake. Had he made a snake, some of us would have been properly called snake in the grass. We can't call each other that because we're not. We are a part of God. And the psalmist said, in the eighth chapter, in the eighth psalm, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visited him? Thou made him a little lower than the angels. When I consider thy handiwork, what makes man anything? And yet it pleased God to give us life. He made you. He made me. We're all special. Sadie, do you know that there's not another person in this world like you? I wasn't expecting that answer. <laughs> we would like to see you. You're unique. You're different than anybody else in the whole world. Anybody. Scotty, there's nobody like you. God only made one, Scotty. You are unique and different because God breathed into each of us his own breath and gave us something of himself that makes us important and valuable and worth loving and worth saving. And we are so valuable to him that he was willing to keep us alive by allowing his own blood, flesh and blood, his son, to die on a cross that we would continue to live and never experience death. Jesus said in John eleven twenty six. 26, he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Brother Reynolds, you were born just the other day. A second time that gives you life that will never end. For eternity we will live. Because God gave us life. For that we ought to be. Secondly, he granted us his favor. 
you know, we go around and we say to each other, well, how are you today? And, and uh, I've known of people who said, compared to what? Or take out a thermometer, stick in their mouth, and well, yeah, I'm all right today. You know, we do an awful lot of grumbling about how we are. Well, I don't feel too good today. My rheumatism's acting up. My heart's not beating quite right. I've got an upset stomach. I got the sniffles. I heard somebody sniff right there. You know you do. Just not too good a shape. You're alive, aren't you? Every person in this congregation is capable of hearing. Some of you have to use a hearing aid, maybe. Probably some of the rest of you need. But you can hear. Some of us have to have aid to help us see. When I take my glasses off, you're just blurs. I can't see a single person out there. But I can see. Why? Because God granted me favor and gave me something. Maybe some of it has been taken away a little bit. This is Thanksgiving season. And I think it probably would be a little rough this Thanksgiving as it was last Thanksgiving because of Lynn's dying. For those of you who don't know, we lost a 23-year-old daughter to cancer just a little over a year ago. I remember that still fresh and Hattie Lee lost a daughter just recently, and some of the rest of you have lost family. You remember those things, and we could stand around and grumble and say, God, why did you do this to me? And I thought some of those things during that trauma a year ago. And the Lord said something to me. It was very plain. He said, I gave her to you for 23 years. You ought to be thankful that you had her that long. And I have to realize, yes, I can't dwell upon that which I now no longer have and feel like it's been something taken away from me. I must realize that God blessed me. He favored me with her for 23 years. When I grumble because I have now lost something that God has given we should thank God for his favor. Lastly, Job said that God visits us. When did the Lord visit you the last time? When did you last hear from him? You remember when Abraham sat in the door of his tent? <coughs> And he saw three men coming down the road. He didn't know that one of them was the Lord himself. But it was. The Lord made a personal visit to the tent of Abraham and sat at his table and ate from his food. The Lord did. You see, God is not somebody way up there in heaven that's looking down with a frown on his face ready to pounce upon us and punish us when we do wrong. He's a loving God that comes down to visit. 
And he would like to stay on a permanent basis. We just allow him to. When the announcement was made about the coming of the Christ child, the angel said, For they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted was God with us. You see, God is with us. He visited, visits us. Two of the disciples were on the road back to Emmaus from Jerusalem after the crucifixion, and they were talking about all the things that had taken place, and I think this was a husband and wife, although we can't be sure from the scripture. And a stranger joined himself to them and began to talk with them and explain to them the scripture. And when they got to Emmaus and they were about to go in their house, and this stranger pretended as if he would go on, and they invited him in, and he came into their house, and as they sat at meal, uh, he took some bread and he broke it and he offered prayer, and in that instance they recognized that it was the Lord in their midst. And they responded to each other, did not our hearts burn within us as he communed with us by the way? Listen. When we are uplift in our attitudes, when we think positive about what the Lord has done with us and for us and blessed us, we will feel the presence of the Lord as if he's sitting beside you in the pew, as if he is personally sitting at your dinner table or with you in your easy chair as you read your Bible. It's not as if he is there if you have received him as your Lord and Savior. We should thank God that he walks with us and talks with us. He's ever present. Let's don't grumble about the bad things of our life, what difficulties we've had, what terrible things have taken place. But let's join with Job in saying, I don't understand all these things. I don't know why Job said I lost my family. I don't understand why I lost all my possessions. And I don't know why I'm covered with boils from head to toe. But nevertheless, I'm going to bless God. There's what you need to be. You don't understand why you're where you are? You don't have to. The only thing we have to do is trust God. And the scripture says all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you love the Lord? Have you been called to be his child, if you have, all of these things will work together for good. Out of misery will come a blessing. Out of sickness will come wellness. Out of all of the distresses of life will come something that is good. Even out of death comes life. <coughs> That's the kind of God we have. Let's count our blessings today.
instead of our distress. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.